You're listening to Time in the Word. It must have been a dramatic moment. The Galatian church had gathered for the public reading of a letter from none other than Paul. As the letter ended, they heard these words. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Galatians 6 verse 11. What had probably happened was this. According to his usual custom, Paul had dictated most of this epistle to his secretary. But he finished the document in his own handwriting, personally adding his autograph to give his letter to the Galatians the stamp of his apostolic authority. And he wrote his signature in large letters to underscore his conclusion. The last section of Galatians, therefore, is more than a hastily written postscript, the afterthought of an apostle. Instead, these verses constitute a summary of the entire letter. In his summary, he contrasts circumcision and the cross, showing that justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, means boasting in the cross alone. To understand this is to understand Galatians. More than that, it is to understand the gospel. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez begins his exposition of Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. I think that it must have been a dramatic moment. Think about it. Here arrives a letter from none other than the Apostle Paul to Galatia. I can just picture it. The Galatian church has gathered for the public reading of this epistle that Paul has written. I mean, it was a different type of gathering, right? Paul has written us. Let's come and hear what Paul has to say to us. And as the letter drew to, the, to a close, they heard these words in verse 11 of chapter 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. What had probably happened was this. According to his usual custom, and we see this laid out also in Romans chapter 16, Paul likely dictated most, in some cases perhaps all of his epistle, to what would have been his amanuensis, his secretary. But here he takes a moment to say that he is finishing this document with his own handwriting, personally adding his own autograph in order to give his letter to the Galatians the stamp of apostolic approval. Perhaps it's a way of, if we paraphrase, if we, thus says the Lord. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But this again is a very important epistle. Remember, what's at stake here is the gospel, the very gospel itself. And he wrote a signature with large letters to underscore his conclusion. So the last section of this epistle that we've been going through is more than just a hastily written postscript, an afterthought from the apostle. You will find that these verses constitute, in essence, a summary of the entire letter. He takes everything that he has discussed up to this point and summarizes it, and then signs it. They place circumcision over against the cross, showing that justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, means boasting in the cross alone. To understand Paul's argument, to understand Paul's gospel, to understand the necessity of grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, if we can understand that, then we understand Galatians. But more importantly, if we understand that, we understand the gospel. 
We're all called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're all called to evangelize. We may not be evangelists, but we all are called to share Christ with others. How do we share Christ if we don't understand what Paul is saying the gospel is? So this epistle is central to all who want to share the gospel. And it's upon us all to share it since that's what God has. That's the expectation that God has of all of us. So the summary at the end of Galatians begins with a problem statement. Look at the first part of verse 12. He says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. In essence, this verse explains why Paul wrote the epistle to start with. You recall that some Judaizers had come to follow up the work of Paul's evangelism, and they claimed to believe the good news. They weren't dismissing the good news about Jesus Christ. They taught about the cross. They taught about the empty tomb. They taught about the crucifixion. They taught about the resurrection. There was one thing that these teachers wanted to add to Paul's gospel, however, and it was the Jewish rite of what? Circumcision. In other words, to them, circumcision was as central to salvation as the other elements that they were teaching regarding the gospel. The Judaizers, these, these teachers, said that circumcision was still a prerequisite to salvation. I mean, that's why he says at the very beginning of the epistle, right? If anybody, including me or an angel from heaven, were to preach any other gospel than the one you received, let him be forever, eternally damned. Why? Because anybody who follows a false gospel is damned as a result of the one teaching it. Their slogan was, and we looked at this at one point in the past, and I'll quote to you the slogan of the Judaizers. It's found in Acts 15.1. This is what they said, and I quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What would you do if somebody came into this chapel and was given the opportunity to stand behind this podium or behind that podium and said, you must be circumcised to be saved? In addition to, yes, the other elements that we all hold dear to the gospel. What would you do? Well, we know what Paul would do. Read the epistle. This was a way of saying that a convert had to become essentially a Jew in order to become a Christian. For the Judaizers, salvation meant the cross, and always be attentive to, discerning to, plus circumcision. Thus, the solas of the Protestant Reformation. Sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. If anybody adds anything to the solas, you would have Paul getting ready to write another letter like Galatians to that community of faith. Think about where we are in Christendom today in the West, in our own country. There is a continual temptation for the church to turn the gospel into the cross plus something else. Whether that something else is a deed or a duty, a sacrament or a social cause, the problem is always and will always be that four-letter word, plus. There's no place for plus in the gospel. Absolutely not. For the gospel to be the gospel, the cross must 
stand alone. That's the argument Paul is making. The moment you add something to it, you have erected something that stands in opposition to what the cross is supposed to represent in and of itself. Man's absolute inability to do anything to rescue himself and be thus completely dependent on God to save him. They pressured these believers in Galatia to be circumcised. And the problem is not so much circumcision as it was their compelling people to be circumcised. The Judaizers were in essence demanding that the Galatians be circumcised in order to be saved. Why were they doing this? It's interesting, Paul tells us, of their hypocrisy. Why were they doing this? Well, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, discerned the real motive. Look at the second part of Galatians 6, verse 12. Only in order that they, the Judaizers, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're compelling Gentile Christians to be circumcised so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They were trying to avoid persecution, is what the text is in essence telling us. When we think of the sufferings of the early church, we always tend to think of all the persecution that came at the hands of the Romans. However, when you read the history of the early church, you found that the first attacks came from the Jews. The Jews persecuted the church. As the church spread through Asia Minor, Jewish persecution spread along with it. Wherever it went, persecution followed. But there was one easy way to avoid it, and this was to become circumcised. If you want to avoid the persecution that will surely come your way, be circumcised. You will avoid persecution. The problem is that if you claim to be a Christian and you're not circumcised, you're not saved, and they will persecute you. But if you're circumcised, you will avoid the persecution. What made the devout Jews furious, angry, was people who failed to maintain the proper boundaries between Jews and Gentiles. Yet even Gentiles were welcome if they agreed to join God's covenant by circumcision. In essence, what the Jews or the Judaizers are saying is that circumcision is necessary or was necessary to belong to God's covenant. But their real motivation, according to Paul, was fear. They were afraid of what other Jews would say if they found out that they were worshiping with Gentiles that had not been circumcised. Think about it. It would certainly be much easier to defend their involvement with Christianity if they could say that the Gentiles in their house kept the law of Moses. If only the Gentiles would agree to be circumcised like Jews, it would solve everything. But deep down, they were not willing to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And you see the contrast there between the Judaizers and Paul. And Paul even addresses that as, as we move on through the remainder of these verses. Paul was marked because of his suffering for the cause of Christ, for the cross. They were doing and demanding that others do what the law say in order to avoid the kind of persecution Paul had been suffering all along. That's the motivation. At least this is what Paul tells us in this section of Scripture. Let me ask you something by way of, of you know, application and maybe bring out some practical, practical aspect to this. At what point will you, you, compromise if persecution comes? Will you compromise to avoid persecution? Or will you be marked? 
as the Apostle Paul. Will you be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ if persecution comes? We're seeing the beginnings of that already in our nation. There is persecution against religion, but particularly Christianity in this country. It won't be long before those of the faith are a minority whose protections are being stripped more and more as time goes by. But the question is, whether you're having a conversation with somebody at school or in your neighborhood or at work or you're here at church, if they begin to persecute you because of who you are and the gospel you're proclaiming, will you be willing to be marked? with the marks of suffering, or will you compromise to avoid persecution and suffering? We've been blessed in that we really don't know. We've got believers living around the world today who are suffering. I mean, people today, the killing of individuals for their Christian faith is sanctioned in many countries. It's law. We, we, we have no concept of that. And that's why I say, have we prepared ourselves in our minds for the day that may come when owning this book may become illegal? when you can be thrown into jail or prison for proclaiming the gospel or reading the scriptures out loud in public or even owning the scriptures. We've been blessed, but we must redeem the time. So Christians inevitably tend to face this temptation because the cross has a way of inviting persecution. Remember the Lord said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In fact, I'll argue that if we've never been persecuted for our faith, chances are we're not really following Jesus the way we ought to because if we were, we would experience some type of persecution. Whether it's criticism, just simple criticism from people or something more severe. It arouses opposition because it says that we are sinners under God's curse. It tells us that we need someone else to die for our sins. That there is nothing we can do to save ourselves, only trust in Christ. The reality is, and I know this from first-hand experience in having conversations with people about issues of faith and the gospel, people generally do not like being told that they are sinners and that they need a Savior and that there's nothing they can do to redeem themselves or even contribute to their own redemption. Remember, sinners are in rebellion against God. They do not seek God. They want nothing to do with God. They hate God. But this is what it means to be a Christian. It means standing up for Christ and his cross. Now, there was another reason why the Judaizers urged the Galatians to get circumcised. Not only did they want to avoid persecution, but... Paul also tells us that they also wanted to seem successful. Look at the first part of verse 12. They were hoping to make a good showing in the flesh. They were desiring to appear outwardly successful. Look at what he says in the second part of verse 13. More specifically, he says, They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. It was certainly a strange boast to make, and it shows how important circumcision had become to the Jews. Apparently, the more foreskins they collected, the more impressed people were back at home in Jerusalem. One can almost see the headline on the morning paper, 100 Gentiles circumcised in Galatia. They're doing it to avoid persecution, and they're doing it to boast the numbers. Pride. They were just keeping up appearances. Their ministry was all for show. Showing off is one of the differences between true and false religion. Listen, false religion gets caught up 
in the externals. Now, it doesn't mean that true religion has nothing to do with the externals, but false religion gets caught up with the externals, like attendance figures, like worship rituals. Outward religion is what cult leaders strive for when they pressure members to recruit new converts. Listen, it's what churches are after when they seek to entertain rather than edify. Or when they base salvation on what people do for God rather than what God has done for them. True religion, on the other hand, is inward. Although it always works itself out, it starts here, in the heart, within us, where the Holy Spirit regenerates the sinner's heart. The problem with making something like circumcision the essence of Christianity is that it is only an outward sign. If the only thing I can point to to prove my salvation is my circumcision, I have a problem. It is not merely external salvation, something done on the flesh of sinful self-reliance. True religion, the Bible teaches us, is not based on outward works. It is based on inward faith. But they were all about the external. Something interesting here, and I'll just touch on this and wrap it up. Not only was circumcision a strange subject for the Judaizers to boast about, but it was really an empty boast. Why do I say that? It was supposed to be a sign of total commitment to God's law. Listen to what the Judaizers said to the Gentiles. Acts 15.5 It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. If you're going to be saved, you can believe in Jesus. You can talk about faith. You can talk about grace. But you must be circumcised so that you may obey the law of Moses. The irony was that the Judaizers couldn't even keep the law themselves. Listen to what verse 13 says. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves this is positive, keep the law. But their desire is to have you circumcised that they may boast of your flesh. Listen, it was nothing more than a case of hypocrisy. The legalists were in reality lawless. They boasted about circumcision. They thought it made them more righteous. Getting circumcised also meant that they had to keep God's whole law, according to Galatians 5.3. In summarizing these first three verses, what circumcision and what, what any other thing in the present day, because circumcision is certainly not, not something that we see as, as the essential added on works necessary today to be saved or reconciled to God. But what circumcision or anything that takes the place of circumcision amounted to was justification by works. And that's the problem that Paul has here. You cannot. You, you distort. You, 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 you do away with the gospel the moment you add anything to justification. Look at the religions of the world and the cults and the pseudo-Christian cults today. Every single one of those religions, I don't care which one it is, I don't care whether it's a major world religion or a cult or a pseudo-Christian cult, they're all in essence saying, yes, you can be somehow reconciled to God, but in addition to what God does, you must do also to aid in that process. That's what religion does. Any religion, study them all, and you'll find that when you bring it, boil it down, it's plus something. And Paul is arguing that that cannot be so. So no wonder Paul opposed the Judaizers every, at every turn. They were the very worst kind of preachers as far as Paul was concerned because they were unwilling to endure, endure persecution. 
he tells us that, for the cause of Christ. And they were, in essence, seeking to glory in their own success. Look at, for example, in modern times, the prosperity gospel folks. Man, they're fleecing the flock, and these people are living well. By their standards, they're very successful. But the gospel they proclaim is not the gospel that Paul proclaimed. They never practiced what they preached. And worst of all, by trusting in circumcision rather than in the cross, they denied the free grace of the gospel. And Paul would not stand for that. 